we join together this morning to run into your arms because we believe that nothing else will do. Lord, nothing else will satisfy our hearts but you. You and you alone are our good. God, when we think about the desires of our heart, when we think about the longings that we have, God, we confess this morning that you are the one who satisfies us. You are the one who makes us whole. And so we run into your presence longing for more of you, longing to meet you, Lord, and in knowing you that you would transform us, that you would make us more and more into the image of Jesus. God, we ask this morning as we open your word that you would imprint it upon our hearts. Lord, that in, that in the places that there are deserts, you would create streams and rivers of life. God, that you would bring dead things to life. Lord, that you would speak words of peace and grace and love to our thirsty hearts this morning. We long to know you more. God, we want to hear from you so that we can set our hope fully and completely in you. So we ask for your power. We ask for your spirit to come and speak your word to us today. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. Hey, I want to invite you to remain standing. I want to invite you to remain standing. Uh, this this uh, season, we've entered a new book of the Bible, Second Peter. Last week, we kicked off with just the first two verses. And today, we're just going to be picking up with the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. And so it's just one sentence, two verses. And so what I want to do this morning as we read our scripture is I want to invite you guys to read along with me. And so we're going to have the, the scripture up on the screen. And so um, I'll lead us, but we'll read out loud together our two verses for today. Uh, so this is 1 Peter, excuse me, not 1 Peter, 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Let's read together. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is the word of the Lord. Please feel free to take a seat. Hey, I want to invite you to go ahead and open your Bible there as well, if you have a Bible, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where we'll spend most of our time together today. <clears throat> um, all of us here are living our lives in one of two stories. One of two stories marks our lives. It, it doesn't really matter uh, where we've come from, where we think we're going, or where we will finally end up. If we were to be able to see life from God's perspective, where, where He sees our hearts and He understands how the world really works, we would see that all of us here live our lives in either one of two stories. We, you might say that we live out one of two different life scripts. Uh, what I want to do to tell one of those stories is I just want to take our passage for today, those two verses, and I want to invert it. I'm going to take the verses that you and I just read out loud together, and I'm going to invert them so that we can see one of the stories 
that marks our lives. This is how that, that story might sound. It goes like this. Our human power has worked in us all things pertaining to death and godlessness. Through the knowledge of the world, which calls us to its own shame and brokenness, by which it has duped us with its empty and very deceptive promises, so that through them we become practitioners of selfishness, having been enslaved by the corruption that is in the world because of our desires which go against God's design. So that's one story. Uh, That story has five basic plot lines. The first plot point goes like this. We, you and I, keep grabbing at life in our own power, but all we actually get is death. The second plot point goes like this. We buy into this world, we embrace this world, but as we buy in and embrace, we just sink deeper and deeper and deeper into brokenness. And the third plot point is this, that one of the reasons that we keep buying into the world is because we are running after promises. We are being told all day long that if we would just do this, if we would just get this, if we would just hit this bar, then we would find life. And yet, it's always empty. And so then the fourth plot line, this is what we realize, that you and I can't help but run after these empty promises because our mode of existence is selfishness. And so fifth, it leads to a corrosive cycle where you and I are trapped within a pattern. We are trapped within a pattern that we've all joined to create because we don't long and desire for what God longs and desires for. And here's what we need to know from the outset today. That story is our default story. That is the story that you and I are born into. I'm sure some of you, many of you, probably remember the 1998 film uh, with Jim Carrey titled The Truman Show. Uh, The Truman Show is a film that is based on a nightmare. If you have ever wondered if everyone in your life was just playing a big trick on you and that everyone was sort of in on it and that your whole life was rigged and everything was fake, that is the story of this movie. Truman, played by Jim Carrey, he lives within a false world and he is literally being videotaped for a show and everything about his life is fake. Everything about his life is false. And then the movie sort of comes to a a head as he begins to become suspicious of this false life, this false narrative. But see, in a way, you guys, we are a lot like Truman. We are born into this world living in a false story. We are born into this world thinking that the promises of this world will provide us life. But time and time and time and time again, we run after them, and it only leads to death. And so that's why Jesus says that if we're going to break out of this false story, if we're going to break out of this enslaving story, we must be born again. 
that if you and I are going to operate our lives according to a different life script, what, what, what that will take is for us to receive a new nature. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 that you and I just read, uh, this is God's new gracious story of how he renews sinners and sets us free in Christ. This is like a one-sentence just explosion that is sent to us to set us free from the empty promises, to set us free from the broken patterns that we keep trying to live under, that is to set us free from the fool's errands that are constantly placed before our lives day in and day out. Uh, This passage is good news to people who desperately long for their lives to change. This is how God comes to us in Jesus and removes us out of that old story of empty brokenness and implants us into his story of gracious freedom. So what we're going to do with the rest of our time is we're basically just going to rehearse this new story of grace. We're going to rehearse the story that God has implanted Christians into. And so here we go. Five things about this story. Five plot points. First, we are renewed by Jesus. We are renewed by Jesus. Verse 3 opens up. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Um, Power, as you know, is all about ability. Uh, It's all about capacity. It's all about capability. Uh, Well, who is it that needs this power of Jesus? Who needs the power of Jesus to invade their lives? It's people who are dead in their sins, people who are enslaved to selfishness, people who are conformed to the pattern of this world. And that means all of us. Peter wants us to see from the outset that the life you and I long for, we do not have the capacity in ourselves to find it. That the transformation, the change that you and I long for, we don't have what it takes. We need for the power of Jesus to invade our lives. See, yes, yes, you and I need to hear about the grace of Jesus. And we need to hear about the love of Jesus. But the only way that the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus actually get into our lives is when we encounter it through the power of Jesus. Um, This power of Jesus that Peter talks about, it has two aspects. The first aspect of the power of Jesus is this. It is a sovereign power. Jesus invades our lives. He changes our minds. He implants new desires within us. He breaks our hardened will so that we then turn to God and love Him and see what Jesus has done as beautiful. So it is a sovereign power. And second, the second aspect is that it is, uh, which is closely related to the first, is that when Jesus implants life into us, He does so on the basis of his own death and resurrection. That what happens in in the life of a Christian, when when somebody becomes a Christian, what's happening in that moment is a resurrection. And that spiritual resurrection that happens 
is founded and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That Jesus went down into our death and he rose conquering death. And now when he brings about resurrection in our lives, it is through his own resurrection. Uh, Here's what you and I have to keep in mind. We all intuitively sense that we need renewal. But here's what happens. All of us naturally pick one of two avenues to seek that renewal. There is both a secular life renewal myth and there is a religious life renewal myth. Uh, The secular life renewal myth goes like this. All of us in here want a better life. And there are millions of things in the world that promise to give us that better life. Uh, It might come through your career. It might come through your possessions. You might think it comes through politics. You might think it comes through a relationship. You might think it comes through some experience. And we think that when we buy in and when we participate in those experiences, then we will find life. But here's the problem. None of those things that promise us life can actually transform us down in our nature where we need to be transformed. But then some of us maybe look at the people who attempt the secular life renewal myth and without realizing we actually might be in our own false story that's just a little bit more polite and a little bit more moral and has a little bit more religious flavor. We also, maybe sensing that we need renewal, Seek that renewal through new habits. Uh, We seek that renewal through more ardent devotion. Uh, We seek that renewal through doing something, whether it's maybe coming to church or whether it's maybe reading our Bibles or maybe it's getting more serious about meeting with other Christians. And we think that that will bring us life. But again, all of those things are external. And what you and I need is a transformation that goes all the way down into our nature, into the core of who we are. And that's why neither the secular life renewal myth nor the religious life renewal myth can transform us in a long and lasting way. Uh, When it comes to the power of Jesus for transforming our story, we must think of Jesus both as all-inclusive, as Peter says here, and also as all-exclusive. Some of you guys here like to go on all-inclusive trips. Went on a cruise one time, won't go back ever again. I've learned about cruises. Some of y'all are like, what? Cruises are the best. And then other people are like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just, I don't know what it is, just something about cruises. Um, But I understand the all-inclusive thing you know, it is really nice to have all the pizza that your heart could, could desire right there at your fingertips any moment of the day. You know, it's, it's really nice to be able to walk in and walk out of a, a meal and not feel like you have to pay or do anything extra fancy. It's nice to feel like everything is all included. Well, what Peter is telling us about Jesus is that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is an all-inclusive Savior. He brings everything necessary for your life and for your godliness. Here's some good news. If you're here today and you're a Christian, Jesus gives you everything you need to be a faithful parent. 
Jesus gives you everything you need to represent him well in your workplace. Jesus gives you everything you need to make disciples. Jesus gives you everything you need to participate in the body of Christ and to play your part in the body of Christ. Jesus is an all-inclusive Savior. But Peter also wants us to see the other side of it, that Jesus is also an all-exclusive Savior. Not only does Jesus give us everything that we need, but Peter wants us to see that it is only in Jesus that we find what we need. It is only in Jesus. See, what this truth safeguards us from is seeking renewal in other things. Our renewal is not in a vacation. Our renewal is not in a promotion. Our renewal is not in a relationship. It's not in a neighborhood. It's not in a school district. It's not in retirement. Our renewal is fully and completely found in Jesus. Certainly, these other things can be helpful. Certainly, they play their part as side characters. But only Jesus can be the hope for our life. So first and foremost, the source of renewal is Jesus Christ. Uh, But then Peter moves here in the second half of this verse, and he wants us to see how this power, Jesus' divine power, which grants us all things for life and godliness, he wants us to see how that gets down into our lives. And so secondly... We are renewed through relationship. We are renewed through relationship. Peter continues in verse 3. Through, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So how does his divine power, which grants all things for life and godliness, how does that get into our lives? Peter says it gets into our lives through knowing Jesus. Uh, when, the, when the Bible talks about knowledge in this kind of way, certainly it involves facts, right? Certainly we need to know things about Jesus, who he was. Uh, we need to know what he did. Uh, we need to know these facts. But the Bible is always talking about more than mere bare facts. Uh, here's, here's a way for us to understand this. Uh, when the Bible is talking about sex and it's trying to be polite, For example, in the case of Adam and Eve, it says that they knew one another. It's saying that Adam and Eve were intimately united together, and it uses this word to know. And so what Peter is saying is that the way you and I receive anything from Jesus is through being united to him in relationship. That when we come into relationship with Jesus, that is how his transformation flows down into our lives. This 
uh, initial relationship, what we call that, is union with Christ. And then the ongoing relationship that we have with Jesus is what we call communion with Christ. Uh, I want you to think for a second about a relationship. Think about some relationship that you have that gives you access to some benefit. So maybe it's a person you know that you know that if you call them for some tickets to something, they could get you tickets. Or some relationship that you had that you know when you walk into that place, you're going to get the family and friends discount. Uh, Or maybe that person that you know who has the pool in their backyard, and so you just like to buddy up so that you can get into that pool every once in a while. right? There's somebody in your life that you have a relationship with that gives you access to something. Now think about how much more access you would have to whatever those benefits are if you were united to that person. Peter is telling us that because we have been united to Jesus, all of who he is flows down into our lives. Uh, Last week we focused on a particular benefit. Last week, we focused particularly on righteousness. We said that you and I, when when you become a Christian, you enter into union with Jesus, and by virtue of that union, you receive his righteousness. So that when you stand before God, you are seen clothed in Christ. That is a wonderful, wonderful benefit of your relationship with Jesus. But here in these next two verses... Peter's still talking about that same relationship. He's still talking about what we get through the knowledge of Jesus, but he transitions from talking about the righteousness that we receive to talking about the transforming power that we receive. In other words, it isn't just one benefit that we get from Jesus. It is all of the good things that come from him come to us through relationship in him. Uh, one One of the terms we use to talk about this aspect of, of how we know Jesus is that we call him a mediator, right? A mediator is a go-between. A mediator is someone who stands in between two parties and either me- sends messages back and forth or arbitrates back and forth. We look to Jesus as our mediator. And here's an illustration of, of what that might look like. Uh, all, all day long, television stations are pumping out information into your living room. All day long, right? They're pumping out stuff into your living room. But the only way their material actually ends up on your your screen is if you tune in to their channel. But when you tune in to their channel, then their material can actually get through to you. And Peter is telling us, he's saying, here's all this wonderful stuff from God. And the way all this wonderful stuff actually gets into your life is by you tuning in to Jesus Christ. When he becomes the channel, when he becomes the mediator in your life, two things happen. One, yes, he now represents you to God, but the other is also true. Jesus takes from what is God's, and then he brings it down into your life as a perfect mediator. Jesus was claiming this role, as God's mediator for himself in John 15, 5, one of my favorite verses. Listen to how Jesus describes this, this, this picture. He says, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying everything that it takes to be alive comes by being lodged into me. So that as you and I enter into union with Jesus and then pursue communion with Jesus, his power actually enters our hearts and from the inside out, Jesus begins to bear fruit just like a branch doesn't support the vine. No, it's the other way around. The vine is what gives life to the branches. And that's exactly what Peter is telling us here. He's saying through knowing Jesus, his power comes out in and through your life. But then I love this. Peter wants us to see that it isn't just power that we receive from Jesus. He adds this. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Jesus isn't just dumping power into our lives to use us. Jesus is sharing his own glory with us. What he earned, what he deserves, what only he is worthy of. When we come into relationship with him and are united to him, Jesus, it's like a marriage. Now everything that's his, he gives to us. So to become a Christian means to tune your life to the channel of Jesus. To link in to a relationship with Jesus. To submit to Him as Lord and God and Savior. Uh, maybe you're here today and, and you've hear, heard me talk some about renewal. And you're desiring change in your life. You're desiring transformation in your life. Um, I just want to invite you. Call out to Jesus. Ask Jesus to save you. Ask Him to pour His power into your life. Tell Him, Jesus, I trust you as my righteousness. I trust you as my mediator to represent me to God. But I also long, Jesus, that you would take from what is God's and bring it down into my life. Call out to Him. Ask Him to save you. What I love about Jesus, guys, is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. You know what that means? It means that you and I actually can't reform our lives enough to be ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus. That in fact, it's just the opposite. Not only do we not change in order that we can come to Jesus, we must come to Jesus just as we are. So that then through His grace and power, He begins to change us. So don't believe that you have to somehow change your life, that you have to somehow fix yourself before coming to Jesus. No, 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 no. You run to Jesus. You cry out to Jesus. You ask Jesus to save you. And then, 
And then now you have him on your side helping you work through the transformation in your life. And for those of you who are here today and you already are a Christian, here's my plea. Here's my plea for all of us. Let's pursue communion with Jesus and never change the channel. Let's keep believing that if what brought all those wonderful, precious things into our lives in the first place was to be united to Jesus, that the way the wonderful, precious things will come out of our lives will be through communion with Jesus. I uh, was thinking about it this week, about how, although I know I'm grounded and united to Christ, there's still this ongoing battle to enjoy communion with Christ. Uh, And I thought about a specific part of my week. Uh, On Wednesday mornings, when I wake up, my heart is typically hard and not enjoying Jesus. Um, Even some, some Wednesday mornings, I kind of wonder if God exists. I kind of think sometimes to myself, is this a big joke? Am I just throwing my life away? Then I come here at 6.30 on Wednesday morning, and I sit in a little circle with four or five other people, and we pursue Jesus together. And we just pray, and somebody kind of leads us through some scripture, and we just pour our heart out to God. And you know what, guys? I don't know what it is, but 30 minutes later, when I walk back out to my car, I believe in God again. And I'm refreshed, and I have rest in the Lord. Um, I don't think that said I went in and out of union with Christ, but there's something about enjoying constant communion with Jesus pours his life out into our hearts. And so here's, a, here's just a couple thoughts. One is this. Guys, let's run after communion with Jesus as if it's the most important thing, because it is. And then here's just a second thing. Um, this little 630 prayer meeting that we have every Wednesday, it is open to everybody. And so if you're like me and you wake up on Wednesday mornings and your heart is cold and hard and dead and you're not even sure if God exists... I would love to see you here on Wednesday at 6.30 so that we could pray ourselves back to life again. As we transition, um, we're just going to see that that this this story just keeps getting better. This story just keeps getting better. Uh, This story of grace. Third, the third plot point this morning, we are renewed with promise. We are renewed with promise. Verse 4 opens up, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. What are these promises that Peter is talking about? Peter is talking about all of the promises that exist in all of the Bible, all 
of the promises of God's presence, all the promises of God's power, all the promises of God's grace, all of the promises that secure our future, all the promises that declare to us that we are forgiven, all of these promises, Peter is saying, come to us as a gift through Jesus. And that's why he calls them precious and very great. Here's one thing that we have to remember when it comes to promises, uh, the promises of God. Uh, At this point in the history of the world, much of what we receive from Jesus comes to us in down payment form. Uh, We started talking last week about why we titled this series, The Last Days. Uh, The last days, in biblical terminology, is everything from the resurrection of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus. So here is the big joke. Every generation since the resurrection of Jesus thought they were living in the last days. Every generation has looked around and thought, this must be it. Because we are living in the last days. And part of what that means to be living in the last days is that the kingdom of Christ has been inaugurated. The king has been seated on his throne. But while it has been inaugurated, the kingdom of Christ has not yet been consummated. And so what you and I receive from Jesus, we receive in down payment form while we await the fullness of the fulfillment in the future. Um, In our current hot housing market, I'm sure lots of us are familiar with what's called earnest money, right? Earnest money is a portion of the sale that is given from a buyer to a seller as a promise of good faith that they are actually interested in in buying the house. And the the thing to know about the earnest money is that it's not something different than the payment for the house. It's both money. And it's both money that's going towards the purchase of this house. But one is just a promise. One is just a portion of what will come later. And what Peter wants us to know is that as you and I live here in in our current last days, in the last days, we have received from Jesus things in down payment form that are really what we are going to experience in the future. It's not two different things. It's not like what we're going to get and what we have now are different. It's that what we're going to get and what we have now are different in proportion. We've received the promises in down payment form. And here's a couple of examples that I think will help us think through why this matters. So first, let's take justification. Justification is God's declaration in the Christian's life that we are righteous. We are acquitted from all sin, past, present, and future because of what Jesus has done. And our justification has been inaugurated, but it has not yet been consummated. Why? Not because it has anything to do with God. God has already declared us righteous. But you and I live in a world where your neighbors and your coworkers and some of your family members think that you are a total idiot for believing in Jesus. This is the preciousness of the promise. 
that what we've received now by faith is a perfect declaration of righteousness from God. But we await a final day when it will be publicly declared and we will be publicly vindicated and you will no longer be seen by anyone as a fool for loving and following Jesus. Uh, here's another one. You and I have, if we're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you have been born again. You're, you have been given a new nature. And the Spirit of Jesus is now indwelling in you. And so in that sense, your holiness, your personal holiness has been given in down payment form. But here's the problem. That as long as you live in this world, you still have to wrestle with indwelling sin. And so the preciousness of the promise is this. That while you've already begun to be holy, you've already begun through the Spirit of God to bear fruit that is righteous, you have to still wait until one day you will never sin again. There's a day coming where you will never do one thing that hurts another person, and you will never do one thing that is not perfectly right in God's eyes. What a glorious day that will be. And here's just one more uh, how, how, ways to think about this. If you're a Christian, you have been given a new family identity. You are a member of God's family. You are a citizen of heaven. And so in that sense, you've received something in down payment form, but here's the problem. You must now live your heavenly citizenship as a refugee away from home. And so while you await the fulfillment of the promise, you are constantly bombarded and tempted by the world around you to conform to its image, to live outside of your family resemblance. But the preciousness of the promise, what we cling to now, is that the citizenship that we have received, we will one day live out in our Father's house. One day... We will live in an environment in which we will never be tempted to sin again. And that is the, the beauty of the promise. So we received the down payment of the Spirit of God, and in that sense, all the promises are already ours. But we've only received them in partial fulfillment while we await the future fulfillment. And, and here's what verse 3 Reminds us. This is something that I've been trying to help myself think through this week. What we have received in down payment form is everything we need to live a life of godliness here and now. That's what verse 3 tells us. That the partial fulfillment that you and I receive now, it's exactly what God wants for us, and it is enough for us to do everything that he's called us to do in the here and now in this context. Now, there's a main goal in all this. All these precious promises are pointing in a certain direction. They're pointing us towards something specific. And so forth today, we are renewed in God. We are renewed in God. Guys, this is got to be one of the most outstanding things, not only in the Bible, but in the whole universe. This is one of the most amazing things 
things ever written. Period. He continues in verse 4, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Come on. Did you come to church today expecting to hear that? Could you have dreamed that what coming into a relationship with Jesus would mean is that we would become partakers of the divine nature? How unbelievable. Peter is telling us that what Jesus has done in us, this change he's made in us, it is nothing short of making us like God. Not that we become God, but that in whatever ways it's possible for a creature to be like its creator, that is what God is doing in our lives. I wonder who it is that in your life you've most wanted to be like. I'm sure we all have somebody that we've wanted to emulate, wanted to be like. Maybe it's a family member that you uh, looked up to, that you desired to be like. Maybe it was someone who excelled in your profession and you thought, man, I just would love to be like that person one day. Uh, maybe there's some celebrity, you know, some famous person that you've uh, looked at and, and maybe wanted to dress like them or wanted to act like them in certain ways. Um, see, this is, in a way, this is, this is how trends are set, right? When enough people buy the same clothes or when enough people buy the same trucks or when enough people decorate their houses in the same ways, when enough people eat, purchase and eat the same foods, these trends are set in our lives. Or, or think about it like this. Why is it that people like to wear the colors of the teams that they pull for? What does wearing that help you do in any way? What we learn is that there's something about reflecting and resembling that creates participation. That as we look like, as we embody, as we wear, we actually become a part. And what Peter is trying to tell us today through his word is that the transformation that Jesus makes in our lives is a transformation that allows us to actually participate in God himself as we reflect God. As his very character begins to overtake and consume us, we enjoy participation with God himself. See, the reason that you and I long for renewal, the reason that we chase empty promises, the reason that we wish our lives were better is because you and I were actually made to reflect God. You and I were made to image God. But sin has broken that image. Sin has marred that image. And so intuitively, we know that something's not right. We sense that we just aren't quite who we are supposed to be. 
And the secular life renewal myth tells us that the way to get there is by something, some possession, some success, some relationship. And the religious life renewal myth tells us that if we could just start acting a little better, then we would find ourselves. If we could just have better habits, then we would experience life. But what we learn today from Peter is this, that the renewal that you and I need will only take place as God's very life is implanted into our souls. That Jesus has sent His own Spirit to come and take up residence in us. And as He lives in us, He begins to bear fruit out of us. And we experience a real, true renewal back into the image of God that we were first made for. Uh, Now, I've been wondering (laughs) this week, as I've been studying this passage, why uh, Peter went in this order. First of all, I've been wondering why he wrote such a long run-on sentence and how all these pieces fit together. But the second thing is, why in this order? Why did he go in this order? Uh, But I think the real answer to that question will actually not not be solved until next week in verse 5, and so there's just that for you. Um, Next week, verse 5, is sort of like this rocket which is going to get launched out of the fuel and the power of verses 3 and 4. And so I'm excited uh, for next week already. But in order to, I think, frame next week with chapter, or verse 5 well, we've got one more thing that we need to see from verses 3 and 4, and that's this. Finally, this morning, we are renewed from corruption. We are renewed from corruption. Verse 4 ends, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. If you are a Christian, you have escaped from the corruption of this world. You have been set free from the old pattern which enslaved your life. You have been taken out of the old story of self-inflicted demolition And you have been implanted into a new story of gracious freedom. See, we all, we all used to try to get life in our own power, but it only led to death. We all lived in an intimate relationship with the world, and it just sank us deeper and deeper and deeper into brokenness. And we thought that promise after promise after promise after promise of something in the world was going to fix our problem. And we couldn't help but run after those empty promises because we were rigged for selfishness. And so the pattern continued. We were stuck. We were broken. We could not get out. That was all of our story. See, what it means for something to be corrupt, what it means for something to be corrupt is that it still is what it is, but it just can't function properly. Uh, think about something like milk, for example, right? When milk is corrupted, it still is milk, but it just is unbearable to the smell or to the taste. Uh, or if I were to turn around right here and grab Evan's guitar and just start turning all his tuning forks there. Evan, you want me to try it? You want to, you want us to try this? I'm not going to do it. 
If I were to start turning all those tuning forks, it's still a guitar. It still has all the same strings. But if he came up here and tried to play that thing, it would not play correctly. And what we're learning is that you and I, our default story, we are who we are. We have our own name. We have our mind. We have our will. We have our emotions and affections and that sort of thing. But all of them have been wound out of tune with who God is. And so because we were so corrupt and wound out of tune with who God is, we could not play right. We could not function the way God had designed us to function. But then Jesus came down. Jesus came with resurrection power. Jesus implanted new desires in your heart so that you might love God. He opened up your mind that you would be able to see the truth and accept it and see its harmony and its beauty. And he took your stubborn will that would have never come to God and he softened it. And the things that you hated before you now loved and the things that you loved before you now hate and he put his own spirit in you so that that old mind, that old will, that, those old emotions and affections would be retuned back to your creator. And so we're free. Here's the charge. Here's an admonition. Let's not go back. Let's not go back. Let's not look back. Let's not flirt back. Let's not look back in our sexual lives. Let's not look back in how we embrace our family values. Let's not look back in where we believe power comes from. Let's not look back to those foolish, empty renewal myths, especially the one where we focus on outward change rather than communion with Jesus. Let's not look back to our old selfish agendas because we have been set free. The, uh, the question I, w- I want to just ask in conclusion today is this. Why did Peter need to write and tell these people something that was already true of them? Why do Christians need to be told what is already true of who they are? Um, I saw a, a funny little picture in my life this week about why. About why we need to be reminded of our new story over and over and over again. We uh, got Benjamin this little motorcycle it's this little, uh, Benjamin's three, by the way, my son. Uh, we bought him this little motorcycle thing. And, um, you know, the first couple of times we took it out, he just couldn't quite figure it out. But maybe, I don't know, the third time we took it out, 
he really seemed to be getting the hang of it. And so he took off one time, and he was just plowing down the road. And he passed Allie and I and got out ahead of us, and it seemed like he was doing great. But then all of a sudden, he, after realizing he'd passed us, he looked back. And as soon as he looked back, the steering wheel yanked, and he, and he kind of ran over off into the side, into the curb. And I thought, as soon as it happened, I thought to myself, I said, you know, that is us trying to live our lives without remembering our new story in Jesus Christ. We forget what God has done. We forget the miracle of our resurrection. We forget that we have been set free from that old story. And so because we forget, we look back. And we, when we look back, we crash. And what Peter is calling us back to again and again and again is to keep putting the new story in front of your face. Keep living by those promises, those precious and very great promises. Keep telling yourself, I'm free, so that your eyes will be forward and not, not looking back, pining away after the old story again. Right, guys, this is our new story that His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which we have been granted precious and very great promises so that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature having been set free, guys, set free from the corruption of the world that is in the world because of our sinful desires. That's our new story. And God is calling us to, to live in and celebrate that. Let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate together. Lord, we long, we long, we long to enjoy what you've done for us, to Lord, see the wonderful, good path that you've given us in Jesus. Lord, and to run in freedom, to run in knowing who you are. Lord, I just pray, I pray that as all of us deep down in our hearts know that we long for renewal, we long to be remade into your image, Lord, that we would seek communion with Jesus, Lord, for that renewal, that he would be our all that he would be our desire, our longing, that he would be the one that we run to again and again and again. Lord, keep our eyes tuned to his channel. He is our life. He is our salvation. He is all we need. And so, Lord, do the miracle in our hearts again. In Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.